You're listening to Penguin Thoughts. These are the thoughts that penguins are thinking when they were thinking that they were thinking about the thoughts they were thinking when they were thinking them. That is, we think. Hey there, my Trekkie fan campers out there. Your family in the neighborhood, Trekkie penguin named Bob here. And we're going to talk today about uh, the latest episode or the first episode, the pilot episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I'll give you my thoughts. I'll give you a little bit of breakdown of what, what happens in the episode. And uh, I definitely would look forward to any type of comments or thoughts you want to share. Feel free to share those down in the description of this Penguin Thoughts review. And so let's, without further ado, let's get into it. Well, the episode starts out uh, as we do in on a race on a planet called Kylie 279. And they have discovered uh, the USS Archer in orbit. Then we quickly transition to uh, Stardate 1739.12, Bear Creek, Montana, where Captain Christopher Pike's cabin is. He gets uh, up in the morning, apparently, and makes pancakes for uh, Captain Battelle, who he's spending some quality time with, I guess. And during the whole time that they're sitting there eating breakfast, a, blue, a communicator from his ship is going off. Uh, actually, I think it's kind of cool because it looks like that communicator that they're using as a prop is the actual type of Bluetooth communicator that you can get for yourself right now that actually looks like the original Sirius communicator that actually it ties Bluetooth to your cell phone. I want to say the last time I looked at it, it was like 150 bucks, I think it was. Uh, I don't have one, but I want to get one eventually. But nevertheless, it's what the prop looks like that they're actually using that particular prop. At least that's where I think it is. I don't know if it really is or not, but it looks like it. Nevertheless, I thought that was kind of interesting. I thought I'd point it out there. So anyway, Captain Patel and, and Pike talk, and, and Pike's plagued the course this whole episode by uh, what he saw in Boroth about his future. Uh, and I think it's why he's so reluctant to go back to command because the enterprise is in space dock right now and he has a discussion with this with Patel, Patel and she's hoping that she'll go he'll go back to the enterprise meantime uh admiral robert april who was actually the first captain of the enterprise uh shows up in a shuttlecraft because apparently he was the one trying to contact pike on the communicator wouldn't answer so he showed up in person to let him know that uh, his first officer, Una, is uh, missing. She apparently took herself and two science officers on the USS Archer to Kylie 279, the same planet we saw in the beginning of the episode. Then we flash over to Vulcan, where we see the actual anniversary of the first courtship between Spock and T'Pring, who was, he was a, arranged to be married from his parents at age seven. Uh, this, by the way, I recommend if you haven't, I go back and watch the second season episode one of the original series called A Mock Time, where Kirk 
and Spock and McCoy being down to Vulcan uh, so that basically Spock can go through the marriage ritual of Kunta Khalife uh, because he's experiencing the Ponfar. And of course, they, they fight and so forth. But anyway, I can tell you about that, that episode, but we can talk about that a little bit later. Matter of fact, I encourage you to stick around toward the end of this video where I talk a little bit more in depth between this interaction Spock and Tupring and also uh, how it relates to a mock time. Anyway, uh, we see uh, them talking there at what appears to be a meal yet there's no food. Uh, they're bantering back and forth, giving each other questions. Spock and Tupring are. She asks, she eventually asks him to marry him, uh, which I'm not sure that's actually how things were to happen in Vulcan, I don't know. But because the marriage was already prearranged by his parents, age seven, according to canon. Uh, nevertheless, they're taking, they're trying to show a little bit of background here, which I'm fine with. They're trying to show, you know, how Kapring and Spock came about and so forth. And they're both a little bit more romantic here and a little bit more emotional and showing how uh, at the end of it, you know, they're, they're going to try to hook up and they're interrupted by Pike contacting Spock and Spock is kind of showing to bring his allegiance to Starfleet first as opposed to his allegiance to their betrothal. Spock tells Pike that he'll be right there in the ship. They're going to find Una as they are back on the Enterprise. Pike is, ride, uh, is riding up in a turbo lift with Spock and they're having a brief discussion about things. Once again, I feel like this whole episode is kind of showing the history that Spock and Pike have, which is good because it makes a lot of sense that they would become more than just officers that served on the same ship, but they became also friends because it alludes to what happens to Pike ultimately and that Spock, you know, uh, takes care of him in the end. We see them show up on the bridge. There is a Lieutenant La Lieutenant Commander Laan Unian Singh, uh, Chief of Security filling in as acting number one since Una's gone. Uh, we have Lieutenant Ortegas at helm. Then there's also the comms prodigy Cadet Uhura that's actually on rotation right now. And they start making their way to Kylie 279. Turns out they get there. They find that it's kind of interesting that they're not hearing any type of chatter, subspace chatter. The ship is empty, no dead bodies, but it's empty. They only had three people anyway. So obviously the crew and Pike surmise that Una and the two scientists have been down to Kylie 279 to investigate the warp signature, which is kind of off. Spock and Ortega's both kind of mentioned that there's something wrong with the signature. Spock finally determines that it's not really a warp core signature that's being detected. Since the sensor has been upgraded on the Enterprise or space dock, it's actually a warp bomb, which kind of changes things. With everything that they indicate, then Lieutenant Singh just to Captain Pike to, to raise shields, and they eventually go to Red Alert after being attacked from the surface of the planet by 21st century plasma torpedoes, which kind of indicates that this whole culture is pre-warped. 
So what in the world are they doing with a warp bomb on their planet? Basically, they, they surmise General Order 1 is still in effect, and they're sitting there in the captain's quarters, uh, seeing and Spock are talking about the mission, which I kind of like this because it, it harkens back to old Trek, because uh, they're not sitting there talking about their feelings or how their family or, or anything like that, like it does in Discovery. Instead, this is actually about what's happening on the planet, what they've been sit there for, how can they find Una, and what they got to do now that they think General Order 1 is in effect. So Pike decides they're going to beam down to the planet, but before so, they stop off at Sick Bay, and that's when they get introduced to Nurse Chapel for the first time, who actually is going to do some genetic alterations on them to make them look like the indigenous people of Kylie 279. Basically, they do that, and then uh, they go to the transporters where transporter guy, Kyle, uh, who's actually from the original series too, uh, tells them that the transporters has already been pre-programmed with the appropriate clothing and tools they need on the planet and will change them once they be down there, which that I thought that was kind of cool yet also kind of strange because I, I never saw that happen in the original series or even in Star Trek Enterprise. So that's a new twist things that are, doesn't quite line up or make a lot of sense with POS, but nevertheless, it's a minor thing. It's not biggie. They beam down to the planet, determine and figure out where Una's and the scientists are being held. It's in a facility that they can't get the transporter beams through. Uh, so they're going to have to go into the building, which has got a very high security, retina scans and guards and everything. With Nurse Chapel warning the Spock's DNA is slightly different and being part Vulcan and part human, that the effects of the genetic alterations are gonna wear off quicker on him. So they have to work fast, sing Fane's Bray, uh, maneuver, uh, faking out these two guys so they can take their uniforms and, and badges and so forth so they can sneak into the facility. I'm kind of glad to see that Spock and Pike were kind of originally against. Singh was suggesting that they beam up the two people that Spock knocked out with his Vulcan nerve pinch to sick bay to keep them sedated. Of course, you know that's going to go off the rails. I don't know. General Order 1, that's just kind of tricky stuff. Why would you do that in the first place? But they did. I think it's just to further the plot along. So overall, I really like this episode, especially all the parts with Anson Mount as Christopher Pike in this. I really like him as Pike. He really brings out the character. He's a good good Captain Pike. A uh, couple things I did notice also about this that was kind of was that the tricorder that uh, Singh is carrying actually looks very much like the TOS one just like the communicator did as well so I'm, I'm good with that giving props that they're trying to make the, make an effort to make things look like the original series that it's like 10 years before uh, Kirk takes over the Enterprise. Spock's uh, genetic coding wears off once again in the building Actually, before they get in the building on the ship, Chapel has to chase down one of the two Kylie who woke up from the sedation because his DNA sample matches enough for to be injected or make a booster for Spock's encoding, genetic encoding. So, you know, that whole process, she's running around the ship to try to catch him and so forth. And they finally get in, then they, Kyle figures out using the transporters how to send the booster serum itself nothing else straight into the retinas of Spock as he's actually getting scanned 
by the retinal scanner in the building so they can get in. And of course, you know, a little bit of nerve wracking there, you know, the first couple times it fails and finally he gets the, the booster injected straight into his corneas and the retinal scanner is fine with it then. It's moving fast. His recoding is wearing off. It starts showing off, in, wearing off in the elevator or surprises someone, so they finally get out. They get all the way down below where Una and them are held captive, break them out of their cell they're in. A little bit beat up, one of them got shot. Uh, Una can sort of walk, not real well, and they make their ways back to the elevator on their way. Spock, his encoding finally wears off completely. He screams really loud because it's painful, apparently. That's when they're exposed and they knock out the Kylie people that are coming off the elevator because they're shocked and stunned. So then they make their way back up to the elevator and that's when they start talking with Una about what happened. And they figured out that this was a pre-warp society that gained knowledge of warp drive technology, warp reactor technology by observation, by re reverse engineering it. That apparently back in Discovery Season 2, when they sent Discovery to the future, and all those different hundred ships of Kelpians and other things like that were all using warp technology, that it was less than one light year away from Kylie 279, and they had powerful enough telescopes to kind of watch everything unfold, and the scientists were able to reverse engineer how warp reactor technology works. But of course, instead of building a warp drive out of it, this being a pre-warp society with two factions fighting for dominance of the planet, their own little civil war going on, they decide, one side decides to build a warp bomb instead. So Una, Pike, Spock arguing in the elevator about General Order One. Una and Pike said, we can't violate that. We've already kind of done that. According to Pike, Pike says, well, we're responsible. Our technology, we didn't keep a close guard on it. And because of it, they have this. And that he believes that all deaths from this point forward will be on Federation hands. So he defies General Order One and proceeds to send the rest of the away party, the landing party, back to the ship with the exception of Spock, who, by the way, is looking Vulcan at this point. And actually, that's kind of the whole point. Spock and Pike eventually go up stairs in the elevator. The doors open up and Pike says, take me to your leader, <laughs> which I thought was kind of, kind of tongue in cheek, but nevertheless, well, I really like Anson Mountain. This is kind of funny, some of the things he says. You have to be quick on it. They did that so that Pike feels like he could try to take this opportunity to explain the whole situation to the Kyrie leader, to maybe try to reason with them, to get them to stop with the use of this bomb. The Kyrie leader that they're discussing with refuses to back down, just won't give in. They share some uh, metaphors and, and proverbs with each other. And the last proverb that the Kyrie leader says is that the, believes that the one with the bigger stick makes the rules and believes that this faction needs to be taken down. That's why they're not going to hesitate to use this bomb. So Pike does something that's very reminiscent to what Kirk did, in my opinion, uh, back in the episode in the original series with the when they were on the planet that had the contamination of the mob uh, factions, you know, with uh, heaters and, you know, guns and things like that back in the 20s and so forth, you know, about Krakow and them, and he shows basically the Enterprise the strength. Well, 
Pike does the same thing, and because the coyote later sends him and Spock away, he speaks out to the communicator, contacts the ship, and orders the ship to come down into visual range at low orbit. Of course, by doing this, you know, they're still continuing to contaminate this population, this planet, but the damage is already done. He does this to show that he's got the bigger stick and that they should listen to him. Then next we see them back up on the ship. We see that the two factions are finally together. We see a news reporting with the Enterprise in the background in the sky, and the two factions are actually trying to talk things out. Pike gets an idea after discussing some things with Singh, and also remembers a previous discussion he had with Spock in his quarters about life being precious, even if you do know the end. It gives him an idea, so he beams down to the planet has a Hura punch communications hole so they can show the library of what happened to Earth in World War III. And uses this, once he beams down to the planet, he uses this to do, to discuss the possibility or the power of possibility between these two factions. That their future is what we make it and life should be worn gloriously. I love that. He speaks a very hopeful speech a very bright message to them and showing them just like he knows his future he knows what their future is going to be because he believes that they are going to use the bomb and they'll end up destroying their world like earth did in world war three he doesn't want to see that to happen to them and instead he suggests to them why don't you take this opportunity to instead of fight and destroy each other to build a more hopeful future and join the Federation. And I mean, they've already got the technology that they figured out on their own. So they're technically transitioning from pre-warp to a warp society. And then we see them proceeding to do so, to actually make things better for themselves, to actually get, get to advancing, you know, starship technology and so forth, so they can join the stars like everybody else. Close to the end of the episode here, Pike giving his log back up on the ship, Stardate 2259.42, stating that the Enterprise is his home. They believe that even though we along this journey will be taking our shadows along with us, it only makes the light brighter that we show on other worlds. Uh, and then he goes out from his quarters to the bridge, gets to meet with Lieutenant Samuel Kirk, uh, George Samuel Kirk, who is the brother of James T. Kirk. So he's a life science officer, uh, is going to be working under Spock as his new boss. So they got to meet him. Apparently he already knows him and knows his family and, and go laid back Pike, you know, ask how the family's doing and so forth. And then of course he assumes command and sits down in his chair. Ortega's asks him where to and he says, Warp Factor 2, straight ahead, we're going to explore. That's what our mission is. And then, of course, he says the famous line, hit it. I love that. So that's kind of the gist of it. I know I left some things out. I just wanted to sum it up. But nevertheless, overall, here's my thoughts. Even though there was a few things in the episode that were a little bit concerning to me, I overall really liked the episode. Is it at the same level as what I consider OG Star Trek? Not really. But at the same time, there are parts in it that I can see that for the first time, they are trying to make a Star Trek series hopeful, at least in this episode. We'll see how the season goes on. Uh, but overall, I am really liking two major things in this whole 
what I've seen of Star Trek The Strange New Worlds. First off, I love Anson Mouth's portrayal of Christopher Pike. And I knew I would when I saw him back in Discovery Season 2. It was the only thing I really, besides Sodder, that I liked in Discovery. Uh, and I knew I'd love him as Christopher Pike. And he has not failed to, to disappoint here. He is doing the job. The second thing I think is I like seeing the relationship being nurtured between Pike and Spock because I think that's I think it's essential. It's 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 basic to how things go with Christopher Pike and his storyline because if you've ever seen it in the original series, there comes a point to where we see Pike in the chair and he's got this relationship with Spock that Spock takes him back to the aliens that happened in the cage. And this kind of shows how Spock would, would technically feel being part human and care for his captain, Pike, at this point, his friend. I really like that. Overall, I felt the episode was hopeful. I'm hoping that the rest of the season stays this way. It doesn't go dark. It doesn't deviate too much from canon. Embrace what's going to happen in the original series. So far, other than just the newer technology and so forth, and the, of course, nostalgia stuff that they keep trying to throw in, when you know, Sam Kirk and, and Ahura, and uh, with all those. I, I don't have a problem with any of that, but nevertheless, it's still the jangling of the keys that Kurtzman likes to do with his Trek. And I don't mind that as long as it still stays true to the heart soul of what Trek is, which I think this is a step in the right direction. Let's see if we're not, it stays that way the rest of the season. Anyway, stay tuned. Like I said, for the next few minutes, I'm gonna discuss a little bit more depth between what happened between Spock and Dupring here. If you like this episode, like what I said about in this review, my Ping of Thoughts review, I'd love to hear from you. And give me your thoughts and your comments down in the description of this Ping of Thoughts review. Until then, live long and prosper there, Trekkie friends. This is your little geeky Trekkie penguin named Bob, and I'm out so you can watch the end of this episode. You're listening to Penguin Thoughts. These are the thoughts that penguins are thinking when they were thinking that they were thinking about the thoughts they were thinking when they were thinking them. That is, we think. Alright. Thanks for staying along with uh, the end of this episode and... As I discussed, I was going to talk a little bit more in depth about uh, the Tepring and Spock uh, first meeting, or first our first chance of seeing them together. Uh, there's an article here I found on Screen Rant I want to read to you. Uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds premiere shows a genuine love affair between Spock and Tepring and sets up why they didn't marry in TOS Amok Time. That's that episode I was talking about in Season 2, Episode 1 of the original series called Mock Time. Spock, played by Leonard Nimoy, never married to Pring, Arlene Martell, in the Star Trek original series. And the foundation as to why they laid are actually in 
Star Trek Strange New Worlds. That's kind of what we're seeing here, a little bit of reason why. Set about a year at, uh, after the end of Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Strange New Worlds sees Lieutenant Spock, played by Ethan Peck, rejoin the Star Trek Enterprise under the command of Christopher Pike, played by Anson Malk. Pursuing his Star Trek Starfleet career, Spock leaves behind his betrothed, Pring, played by Gia Sandhu on Vulcan. The fact that Spock had an arranged marriage waiting for him on Vulcan was a shock in the original series. Uh, it was one of the deepest delve into Spock's life and the Vulcan culture up to that point. Uh, the Enterprise Vulcan science officer underwent a thing called POMFAR, which happens every seven years, that they, as a race, have to go back to uh, their home world just like this to, to, to basically procreate, uh, have to take a wife, uh, or uh, just like, like the salmon do, spawning each year here on Earth. Have to swim back upstream. Uh, it's an uncontrollable Vulcan mating desire that they become irrational, stressed, highly emotional. They can't think straight. Uh, matter of fact, at some point, they 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 have what's called the black towel or the blood fever that we saw in the mock time. Uh, Basically, it's the culmination of those feelings that if they're not satisfied, that biological portion of this is not satisfied, that he can end up dead, according to McCoy. It can kill him within a week. So, anyway, Spock needed to return to Vulcan to marry to Pring. The arranged marriage that his parents arranged between him and to Pring at age seven. He's betrothed to her. Uh, Kind of like being engaged, I would assume. However, Tapring had other plans, and instead of going through with the wedding, she handpicked uh, Kirk, James Kirk, as her champion to fight Spock in the Khalifi. Because uh, he had to go back for this thing called the Kuta Khalifi. The Khalifi is equivalent to like a divorce uh, of Walter. So it's a little bit more than that, because this whole part is very private. It's very steep in and Vulcan ritual. Uh, Outworlders are not to even know about it or be involved in it. The reason why Kirk and Spock are there is because uh, Kirk and McCoy is because they're Spock's best friends. Uh, he asked them to come along. Uh, and the Khalifi, the only way you get get out of a betrothal or prearranged marriage is by a fight to the death of the Khalifi. Uh, Spock won the fight, believing he had killed Kirk in that episode when McCoy sprayed him with what he said originally was a triox compound. Turns out to actually be a, a mixture of things that, that a neurolytic that feigned death, basically. Uh, so, meanwhile, to Pring's logic, for her breaking her marriage arrangement with Spock was because she had chosen another mate, Stan. It's also the reason why she chose Kirk to fight because if Spock had won and killed Kirk, 
And Spock would still go off to Starfleet, she still could be with Stalin. And also have his name and all of his property. Uh, if Kirk killed Spock, then the problem is all too is she still could have Stalin. So either way, the Pring was going to win what she wanted. She wanted to be with Stalin, played by Lawrence Matagni. Uh, so that was her logic behind the marriage arrangement and why she wanted to break it. What she told Spock when Spock questioned why. However, the premiere episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds is set nearly a decade before the events in a mock time and it introduces a younger Spock into Pring in happier days. Spock and his intended bride are clearly devoted to each other and as romantic as their Vulcan culture and rituals will allow them to be at that time. In stark contrast, that we saw that the coldness between Spock and Pring in a mock time when the actual, you know, the end of the relationship, pretty much. By that time, Pring had already decided she was going to marry Stan. She wanted to be with Stan and not with Spock. So, when Captain, uh, when Captain Pike contacts Spock to tell him to report back to the Enterprise, the Vulcan science officer unquestionably puts his Starfleet duty above his betrothal to Pring making the end of the relationship an inevitability. And that's kind of what we see here. Seeds why Spring went on to be the way she ended up being. How she found another and wanted no longer be with Spock. Because she figured out that Spock's first and foremost duty was the Starfleet. And actually we saw in the episode of Strange New Worlds that he went ahead and told Pike he was going to be there without even checking it. She seemed a little bit, for Vulcan, upset about that. At least that she wanted to be asked if it was okay. But nevertheless, the younger T'Pring in Star Trek Strange New Worlds is willing to be patient, little knowing how Spock's true devotion is to Starfleet and not to her. Indeed, T'Pring is friendly and familiar with Captain Pike. She even calls him Chris. So she understands what Starfleet means to Spock. Since Spock's first captain knows about the Pring, while Captain Kirk had no inkling about Spock's life on Vulcan before a mock time, it also adds another interesting layer to Spock and Pike's relationship, which is what I like about this. We're actually getting to see Pike and Spock's relationship being built here, and all the nuances with it. Star Trek Strange New Worlds intriguingly establishes that Spock and the Pring were in a genuinely romantic relationship toward each other, but Spock ultimately chose Starfleet over his betrothed. And since Trekkers also know their marriage ends up the way it did in their mock time, it adds an extra layer of tragedy and sadness to how Spock and Tupring's relationship ended in the original series. So there you go, Trekkie fans. I just thought I'd, I found this article interesting and I thought I'd share that with you. Uh, that kind of gives a deeper layer to things. Uh, kind of glad in a way that they didn't really break canon too much about this by showing it, because they very well could have done that by like, you know, letting them have a fling, uh, which is not really supposed to happen according to Vulcan tradition until they're married. Uh, this was just a betrothal. 
Uh, not to mention, it's not Pond Far. They don't have this urge until Pond Far. So, but it does show that they were, even though they were were prearranged to be married, betrothed by their parents, they obviously took that seriously from their parents and tried to have some type of relationship and eventually started developing, well, feelings for themselves. Even though Vulcans don't show their feelings very easily, they suppress them, they still have feelings. Um, so it just kind of shows another layer to Spock here um, and to Preen's thing. And hopefully if you go watch a mock time after this, uh, it will actually kind of give a little bit more clue and background into that and so forth. I think it kind of also ties this episode to the original series. Now, whether or not they do that with the rest of the season, I don't know, but I'm hoping and hoping out, hope that they don't keep this Trek like they do other Trek under Kurtzman so far. Instead, I hope that they change the way they do Trek and finally get back to the way Trek is meant to be, about a story, a good story, and not an agenda or a platform. Anyway, I won't go on that rant anymore, and I think, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that you stuck with this video, this review so far and so long, and you stuck it out to the end. And I hope that if you like this, you'll hit that like button or subscribe and hopefully you maybe leave some comments and let me know what you think or not you like this you thought it was too long not long enough let this penguin know what he can do to help you get better into trek anyway i'm a crazy little geeky penguin named what about bob and i'm gonna say a later <laughs>